This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. So welcome everyone to uh, our evening Bible study at the Christchurch community in Jerusalem. Um, although our audience is actually quite international and that's absolutely a delight. So welcome everybody who's listening also on whatever podcast platform that uh, is your choice. We are studying the book of Deuteronomy, the last words of Moses, Moses's longest speech, right, the longest speech in the Bible as Moses is preparing the people uh, to enter the land of Canaan and establish a just society, a humane society, and one that will reflect the character of the Lord and truly be a light to the nations. And so we get to see his take on some aspects of the Torah, things that he focuses on, things that he doesn't focus on as much, um, and then we try and do our best to also apply those, the, the lessons that are learnt, because all scripture is God-breathed, apply these lessons to our community and to ourselves. Okay, and we will begin um, by acknowledging the Lord's presence through prayer. So, Brother Neville, could you pray us in? Yeah, okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time set aside to uh, come before your word, Lord, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would, would honor us by your presence, Lord, and lead us into a deeper understanding of your, your ways and your word. So, Father, we uh, thank you for this opportunity, Lord. Thank you that for the means you've give, given for us to be able to join together uh, between countries and, and all over the place. So, Father, thank you for your provision. Thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, that for your, the gift you've given to Aaron to teach and to, and to give understanding on these topics. So, Father, we give this time over to you and look for a real blessing in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So the last, uh, last couple of weeks, we've been wrestling with Deuteronomy 14, uh, particularly the issue around pure and impure foods, um, not just in relation to um, what was to do with Israel, but also to do with I us. Guess so. You'll have to ask my trainer. <laughs> so, uh, okay, I'll just mute everybody again. All right. The, um, and, uh, and looking at pure and impure foods, not as a, uh, something that's just sitting in the past, but also what is applicable to us, because um, purity is, a, is something that is infectious, like holiness, and also it's uh, reverse, um, particularly when many of our brothers and sisters um, seem to eat a lot of food, and perhaps probably too much of it, and what should be an appropriate um, diet for us. So here's a summary from the last couple uh, of, uh, of, of, of evenings. This one's in relation to particularly verses 3 to 29. So one of the concerns of Moses for the people of Israel as they are about to leave the nomadic desert life for urban civilization are the many temptations to idolatry through the customs of the local inhabitants that they will eventually displace and that the ethics of the people will collapse 
when they move from a place of weakness to a place of power. Israel was called by God to be a holy people. The people of God had to reflect the character of God that they served. Six times in Leviticus, the Lord had called Israel to be holy because he is holy. The same theology is reiterated in the epistles as we are reminded by Peter that we too are a holy people. Consideration for the character of Israel is discussed in appropriate burial customs for the dead, dietary laws focused around the concept of pure and impure, and financial responsibility through tithing and care for the weaker members of society. Now, the classification of pure and impure existed prior to the flood, and back then was not a designation of what could or could not be eaten. Following the flood, all animals were classified as fit for consumption, right? Noah gets off the ark. God says you can eat anything. Rather, clean and unclean related to what could and could not be sacrificed. Genesis 8 recalls that Noah built an altar and sacrificed to the Lord upon exiting the ark. It says the aroma pleased the Lord, and then God promises not to destroy the earth again with water. Sacrifices have an element of appeasement attached to them. Many nations and cultures had unique dietary habits. The Torah at Sinai takes the classification for sacrifices and confers on them an aspect of holiness with the future diet of Israel. Remember that becoming impure is not a sin in Jewish tradition. Okay? Many things create impurity, but becoming impure is not a sin. It means simply you are impure and there are things you could do and things you could not do. But one of them was you could not approach God. You had to get into a pure state. So purity and impurity is not a sin in Jewish tradition. It is simply and straightforwardly forbidden. Instead, it is a part of the responsibility of the people of God to imitate and reflect the holiness of God. And no, no one can honestly understand why there is an injunction against cooking a goat in its mother's milk. The debate is based on silence. There are no texts that can confirm local pagan fertility customs regarding food. It seems a natural uh, uh, commentary to say this is what pagans were doing so we'll do the opposite except we actually have no proof there is none everything we say on the debate actually speaks from silence there is however a vibrant debate in jewish exegesis over the nature of torah with the advent of the messiah what does and does not change in the torah when the messiah appears with extreme positions on both sides of the debate. The nature of sacrifice had already changed with the diaspora and the temple's destruction. Future food laws 
are simply part of the religious and social debate, with some rabbis preferring the notion of the return of the kosher pig to Israel, and others advocating that even the Messiah will keep modern-day kashrut. This debate continues even in the Christian world. While many Christians would say anything can be eaten, that does not imply that it actually should be. For example, you can eat sugar. How much of it should you eat? While Jesus modifies food laws in the Gospels, restrictions are imposed by the apostles in the book of Acts. Freedom in Christ should not lead to gluttony, which is so prevalent in the Western world. The question remains then, how should a holy people, and that also includes us, how should a holy people reflect the holiness of God to an unbelieving world with our eating habits? It's a good thought. Tithing is mentioned in Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. The tithing system was organized around a seven-year cycle corresponding to the Shemitah cycle, which we will pick up again today. Tithing was mandatory and was not considered optional giving. A portion of the tithe was to be enjoyed in the presence of the Lord, and the rest was to be given to the priests. Moses says that the purpose of the tithe was to learn to honor and fear the Lord always. The activity of tithing demonstrated faith and action linked in a relationship with God. The character of God and his concern for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the Levite, and the stranger is seen in the command that every third year the tithe is portioned for the weak members of society. And we noted in our discussion that many churches that reject the Old Testament teachings, you know, do away with the law, still have a strong emphasis on tithing. What, attitude, what should our attitude be to tithing? If the question is, how little can I give, then our hearts are actually in the wrong place. So that was our discussion uh, on Moses' uh, teaching on burial customs, pure and impure foods, and tithing. So we shouldn't, uh, when we mourn the dead, we should remember that God is life. When we consider what we eat and what we don't eat, let us remember we are a holy people and how does that reflect the holiness of God to uh, uh, a pagan world. And uh, when it comes to our use of our finances, let us remember to always care for the poor, the weak, and the, and, uh, and the widow, because uh, that is also a reflection of God's character. And, um, and remember that if we start asking the question, really, how much should I give, then perhaps, perhaps our, uh, our thoughts are in the wrong place. All right. So let's have a look at the next chapter, Deuteronomy 15, which is going to bring in, um, hopefully, a good vibrant discussion. Um, uh, maybe not so much on cancelling debts, but definitely slaves. And... Uh, and killing the firstborn animals. All right, so we're going to read Deuteronomy 15. I'm reading it from um, sort of an NIV, I think. Not a great translation on this one, but um, we'll get into it anyway. 
Deuteronomy 15. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel the debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people, because the Lord's time for cancelling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you, if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lead and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, and none will rule over you. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbour this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for cancelling debts is near, so that you do not show ill towards the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. Then may, they may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them, and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. If any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you six years, in the seventh year, you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your winepress. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. And that is why I give you this command today. But if your servant says to you, I, I do not want to leave you, because he loves you, your family, and is well off with you, then take an awl and push it through his earlobe into the door, and he will become your servant for life. Do the same for your female servant. Do not consider it a hardship to set your servant free, because their service to you those six years has been worth twice as much as that of a hired hand. And the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. Set apart for the Lord your God every firstborn male of your herds and flocks. Do not put the firstborn of your cows to work and do not shear the firstborn of your sheep. Each year you and your family are to eat them in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose. If an animal has a defect, is lame or blind or has any serious flaw, you must not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You are to eat it in your own towns. Both the ceremonial clean and the clean may eat of it as if it were a gazelle or a deer. But you must not eat the blood, pour it out on the ground like water. Right. Okay, so that's uh, on an initial surface reading.
Is there anything there that jumps out or something that you've never quite noticed before? Well, there's something that really jumped out to me. There's a statement to say, there will be no poor among you in verse 4. Yeah. And then <laughs> verse, is it down at 11, uh, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I also like the idea that the Lord is saying about generosity, don't try and hold back when the Shemitah is due, right? You, you must keep giving, irrespective. Yeah. Yes, there is a, a strong emphasis on generosity, with God seeming to say, I know your hearts, but I don't want you to be like this. I want you to be really generous. But maybe that's what, what Neville's saying. It's because around you there shouldn't be poor because you're giving and you're blessing. But in the land, because you can't touch everybody, but in the people around you, which is what verse 4 says, you're the one there that should be making sure they're not poor or suffering. Yeah. Is, is this still practiced today, Aaron, in any, in any place? Where? What? Uh, the idea of Shemitah in, on this basis. In Israel. In Israel. Um, I actually sat down and uh, did some research on Shemitah to see if Israel actually keeps it. And because um, uh, the last Shemitah was 2014, I think, okay. uh, 2014, 2015. And um, there is a hot debate in amongst the Jewish world about what you do and don't do for Shemitah. And... Um, and, and we can get to that when, um, when, when we talk about it. But it seems to appear that there has only ever been in all of Jewish history two literal shmitot, where the, the Jewish people actually physically didn't, didn't harvest grain. Now, it's the, the, the shmitah is about land doesn't have anything to say about animals. So like if you actually have uh, dairy cows, it might be the Shemitah year, but you still have to milk them. And if anyone's actually got a, had cows, then you know you have to milk them. You know, they really get very upset if you don't milk them, right? Um, th uh, and so it's very interesting that on a literal reading, the Shemitah actually only applies to the, the ground. And there's a whole bunch of other things that you can keep doing um, uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in a Shemitah year. And so it's very interesting how, how um, modern Israel gets around it. Um, Aaron, and, uh, one thing that I've heard is that there are some, for example, uh, uh, kibbutzim that keep it within for themselves but you know on a on a local scale but yeah as you say that the on a national scale it's you know incredibly unu uh, unusual to yes erin i thought that um they actually had gentiles do the tilling for the land like they don't actually have it rust but they have the gentiles do the work for them right some do s s there are there are some there are some farms it's sort of very ad hoc there truly is some farms in Israel and some farmers in, in, the, in the Gentile world, in the Christian world, who read the Bible and take it very seriously, particularly the older traditional types, um, that also will leave their lands lie fallow. And um, sometimes 
it's on a, on a rotational basis. So like uh, out of their farm, there will always be a portion of their farm lying fallow. So after seven years, every single part of the ground has rested at least once. Um, and there are people in this country that will indeed just stop. But they will be doing other things that help generate money. Um, Aaron? Yep. Do you remember the study that Don Stanley and his wife did? Did you ever read that? Yes, he did his PhD on the Shemitah, didn't he? Yeah. That was uh, an incredible paper. Yeah. You should share it with everybody. Um, I should have without names. Where is it? Well, I was just, just right. You can do it in short firm form. I'll do it if you want me to. Yeah, please. Okay, so uh, one of the directors of CMJ Israel, he and his wife went around to 10, 15, 20 different farms, whether they were run by a family or kibbutzim, um, all the different scenarios. And they did a tally of whether or not they kept the Shemitah, when they started, what happened, what were the results. And I think the conclusion, without going to a long story, is that any of them that had chosen, after meeting with their family and making a decision as a group, wherever that group may be, to keep the Shemitah, every one of them had tremendous blessings. The blessings that are promised in the scripture itself and above and beyond that. Except for yep. one family. They all had agreed to, uh, to follow the rules of the Shemitah as they're laid out. And then everything, the whole farm, all crops, everything burned to the ground. No. And then guess what happened? Yeah. You remember? No. The insurance money paid for everything Every three times I, over and above, so they were able to start again from scratch. Did he publish that online somewhere? No, it's because of the names and uh, confidentiality and everything. Okay. So I, I don't think it was ever published online. It was his PhD paper. Mm -hmm. I think Carol Pledgy has a... So in the, in, during the Shemitah year, the Jerusalem municipality refused to, did not water its parks or gardens. It left everything just blank for the entire year. And, um, and if anyone's seen what Jerusalem looks like today, it's green. So, um, which is, a, a, I think, a really good, a good testimony. Okay. Is there any other comments about um, the, the text that we read? Um, yes, everyone. Go for it. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we can. Okay. Um, I'm hearing somebody else. Okay. Um, on this um, Shemitah, on, on this um, narrative we've just read, it actually didn't talk so much about the land. Um, it talks uh, about the debt forgiveness, correct, and also the the slave, um, the, the the one that is sold itself to burn service. Of course, that that's the three um, version of the Shemitah: the land um, tilling of the land, the debt, and also the the slave thing. Um, and in this, we could see that um, it, there was so much um, concentration, especially on the slave, so that they, they can release. The slave, you remember also, they had the same problem during the time of Nehemiah. They, they had all the slaves and they were not releasing them. 
and um, it, it cost um, it, it was cost part of the exile because they did not keep keep the shemitah and um, they kept um, the slaves and so they were sent out of the land so that the land could have its shemitah for 70 years for the first exile yeah. just wanted to put in that uh, yep, absolutely. The, um, the, the Jewish people uh, in history didn't, didn't do so well in observing this well, large sections of the law. And so the land indeed got its, its rest. God indeed gave it its rest. And I think he counted 497s. Uh, uh, so you ended up with 70 years captivity. So that the land got his full 70 years. Uh, which is very interesting when you think about it, that God, um, as the Lord of time, is very obsessed with time and things like to happen on and at the right time, uh, which is uh, it's quite delightful to think of when, when, you, when you go that way. All right. And, and Shimshon, you, you actually mentioned something correct. This, this chapter actually does not mention the land. Other chapters do. And also to be noted, um, when talking about the Shemitah in Exodus and in Leviticus, none of them talk about cancelling debts every seven years. This occurs solely here in this chapter. What we are about to read is unique to Deuteronomy. Moses is introducing something new. So let's have a look at it. So in uh, verse 1. At the end of his several years, you must cancel debts. Uh, who's got a King James or a new King James or a different version to me? What does it say? It yeah, what you got? At the end of every seven years, you are to have a Shemitah. Here's how the Shemitah is to be done. Okay. Yep. Might as well make a release. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Release. Um, yeah. Mine call it um, the remission of debts. Okay. Yes. Mine does. The remission of debt. <laughs> Yeah, mine does too. But it just says, at the end of seven years, Shemitah, release. Okay? It actually doesn't use the word debt. It's a different word. Um, it is talking about debts, and so that's why the interpreters later on come along, translators come along and shove that word in there. But literally it says, at the, at the end of seven years, release. Okay? ESV, Aaron, says, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. So they've tried a bit more to yep. be a straightforward translation yeah the more the more i've heard of the esv and listened to it the more i'm thinking wow these guys have, have uh, come up with some pretty good stuff they've really looked at the text and and, and mm -hmm. let it let it sit uh literally so uh, esv quite a good uh, modern version okay can i ask you a question aaron before we continue what's the difference between a shemitah the seven year shemitah and the release in the jubilee mm -hmm. Oh, very good. All right. So let's have a look at the Jubilee, which is in Leviticus 25. And um, I'll read a few of those verses, and then um, and we'll see how we go. Okay. So the Sabbath year, the Shemitah year, and the year of Jubilee. Leviticus 25, starting at verse 1. The Lord says to Moses at Mount Sinai, now, that's an interesting line in itself because most of the times in, in um, Deuteronomy, we call it Horeb, okay, Mount Horeb. But here, Leviticus, Mount Sinai. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land that I am going to give you, the land itself 
must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your seed, your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather your crops. It's all about land. And in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, for your male, female servants, the hired worker, the temporary resident who lives among you, as well as your livestock, wild animals in the land. And whatever the land produces can be eaten. That's an interesting thought. Okay, count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seventh, uh, seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month on the Day of Atonement. Okay, Yom Kippur, sound the trumpet throughout the land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty through the land in all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. 50th year of your jubilee. Don't sow, don't reap, whatever grows for itself is a jubilee. And everyone is to return to his own property. And then you get this idea of, of, uh, of the cancellation of debts. So there, the cancellation of debts is every 50 years. Now Moses is changing it to every seven years. Wow, where is he getting this idea from? Uh, very interesting. Um, it, and so you have a jubilee. You cannot not have a jubilee. You've actually got a piece of the Bible that tells you to have a jubilee. And so guess what you're going to have? You're going to have a jubilee. But now Moses is also saying something else. Why do you think he's doing this, guys? Why do you think he's doing this? Um, hello, Aaron. Yep. I think that the, here is talking about, um, it's still referring to the land, a land that has been sold can return back to the family during the year of the Jubilee. But um, where, we, where we read in um, Deuteronomy was talking more about um, debt in, in terms of cash, when somebody loans money or loans um, something in place of money, but not mm -hmm. the land itself. So that's um, for the land, it will revert in the Jubilee, but for the cash, it should be cancelled. I mean, if you, I mean, you have to write it off. Um, that's, uh, it, it, should, it should be interpreted. You have to write it off if the person um, does not pay by the Shemitah. And, yeah. you know, that's why it's very tempting. And uh, it's very strange that the warning was not given to the other side. You know, the one who was giving, ah, don't harden your heart to your brother when it comes to you. But um, somebody on the other side can also take advantage of, wow, it's getting to Shimita. Let me go around and get a lot of money. You know, yeah, you could, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, we didn't say the one into the other it's side. The other way around. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, there. Yeah. Go right ahead. Yeah, uh, just a quick uh, observation. I don't know if there's any correlation between Daniel's. Uh, the 70 weeks to the 490 years. Is there any, could there be any correlation between that and, uh, and the Jubilee? Well, I would say yes. Once you start getting into those kinds of numbers, there's definitely a link. What is it? Um, I might not know 100% right now, um, but it's, there's definitely a link there. Once you see those kinds of numbers appear, uh, they're trying to tell you something. 
uh, or God is trying to tell you something, or the prophet is trying to, trying to say something, or all of the, the above. Um, so Aaron, what has happened that has caused Moses to put this in there as they get ready to cross the, the Jordan? Jordan? That's a good question, Roddy. I don't, I don't 100% know. But the law that they had in Leviticus was for land, right? Right. Which is what Shimshon was saying. You know, the, the, the land gets rest and make sure you give the land. Completely misses animals. Animals, you know, sheep still got to get shorn. Cows still got to get milked. Chickens still got to have their eggs, you know, uh, collected. Um, but the land uh, has, to, has to rest. So carpenters still have to work, builders still have to build, okay? You know, um, the thing that's resting is, is the land. The rest of society continues. Um, but there is something, uh, what I know also interesting in Leviticus is that um, the produce that grows from that seven-year land, now what's interesting in, in Leviticus is it doesn't call it Shemitah, okay? Shemitah means release. So you can't call it... Uh, Shemitah in Leviticus. In fact, the word's not there. Okay, um, the it's it's become known as Shemitah uh, every seven years. But but the actual real meaning of the word is the cancellation of debts. The Shemitah, um, the land, maybe, the, maybe the stuff that's produced by the land is yeah. shared with everyone. Now, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Everyone, Jews, Gentiles, whoever's around. And then God says, you know, the animals can eat it. Even the wild animals, which aren't even yours, they, they get to eat it. I mean, everybody enjoys the land of God, which is an interesting thing. Aaron, is this actually preparing us for the idea of complete redemption? Because ultimately, all eventually go back to the Lord God anyway. So, and also... Also, I, I heard. I think it probably has an element yeah. to it. Yeah. Also, I heard the the idea of the number seven has as an element of sanctification in it. So. Yeah. Can I just, Aaron, can I just add a thought on this? Um, this is also in partly Yvonne answering your question there. It is interesting what Jesus quotes when he's in the synagogue at Nazareth. He quotes Isaiah 61. You know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Anyway, reading on it says, the, the last line of that is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, the it's not just an ordinary ju jubilee, it's it's a complete release and there's a sense in both when it came by just by the right. release from sins but also there's a future aspect which may tie mm -hmm. into the 70th year of, of daniel's vision yes. right just because then he's he's yeah that's great he's, he's cut off and then he comes back again so that is good news great thank you so much so going on to uh, david's point about sevens and the strange number seven it's interesting that for, for holiday, like the Jewish calendar, it's easy to have um, monthly festivals because months are based around a moon. That's a natural cycle. It's easy to have years. Years are based around the sun, right? And you, have, you add leap years and things to make sure that you get, you get back onto the solar cycle. Right? So, but there's nothing in nature that screams seven. But yet in the world, 
all over the world, everybody has a seven-day week. But there's nothing in nature that says seven plus a seven plus a seven. Isn't that interesting? In fact, in 1793, those little beautiful Frenchies decided to get rid of the seven-day week. Did anyone know that? And they instituted a thing called French Revolutionary Time. And they decided to do everything by decimals. So they made the entire thing based on tens. So you had 10 hours a day. Each hour was uh, based on uh, 10 minutes. And each minute was based on, oh, sorry, 100 minutes. And each, each minute was 100 seconds. And, uh, and you had um, uh, uh, so three weeks that were in a month. So you had 12 months of a year. That wasn't actually decimal, so I don't know why they, 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 they got that wrong. And then all the extra time that they didn't have, because they were missing a heck of a lot of time, they decided to consider a, year, a holiday at the end of the year. And uh, this calendar succeeded to last from 1793 to 1805 when they gave it up as a really bad joke. Um, but there you go. They, they tried to get onto tens and they couldn't do it because something just seems to work. In seven. Isn't it, Aaron, isn't that, also, isn't that really because the Lord God created the, the, the whole of creation in six days and he called the seventh day holy and he sanctified it, right? So it all yes. revolves around seven. Mm -hmm. And so when the guys cross into the promised land, right, the, the, the land is actually sanctified. It belongs to no one but the Lord God, really. Absolutely. Now, we know that. And, and we, but it's still interesting that the, the rest of the world, which is pagan, and there's nothing in nature that should scream seven, still does seven. Seven was a word. And so there's and Aaron, something I think about that. The, the seven is actually a divine, it's a divine number. Uh, it looks um, that way. It's, it, it was introduced by God. And in yep. fact, actually, God separated time into sevens. Um, if you look at the prophecy of Daniel, you will see that his yes. time is actually broken down in sevens, you know. Correct. Usually they use the week to describe ten day, um, seven years, and you know, and so that you will understand that time is actually, in God's perspective, is broken absolutely. into seven. We all, we all and absolutely then, yeah. And then you have the seven Moedim. I mean, there's so much sevens. You can there's so many on. sevens. It's a, it's, a, yeah. it's a mystical number. It's a divine number. Uh, it's part of creation. And yet, if you're secular and you said, Prove to me where the sevens are important in, in nature. He couldn't do it. It doesn't exist. But he knows it's true somehow, which I think is very interesting. And so Aaron, it's it, also the case that the, the, the Soviets and the Bolshevik Re Re Revolution in 1917 also tried the same exercise to abolish a seven-day week. Did they uh, really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it didn't. Uh, I mean, it lasted even less time than you mentioned for the, the French experiment. <laughs> Just the, I mean, the, the, the church still had quite a strong following, the, the Russian Orthodox Church, and it, it just, it, it, they couldn't impose it on them, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the people of, in, in, the, in Russia. Just didn't so yeah, it's been tried more than once and France. found wanting. Found wanting, yeah. All right, so let's, uh, let's have a little look at um, what Moses is doing. He has, we, we know that there is a, um, a seven-year rest for the land. He, will, he already knows that because he said it himself in Exodus 23. Exodus 23 verse uh, 11 gives you already the seven-year cycle. 
for six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops, but during the seventh year let the land lie unplowed and unused, and then the poor among the people can get food from it, and the wild animals uh, may eat what is left. That's interesting that those two groups are put together. Um, do the same for your vineyard and your olive grove. For six days do your work, and on the seventh day you don't work. Uh, your, your ox, donkey can rest, and, and so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you can also be refreshed. I don't know how they get Sabbath Gentiles out of that one, but they do. Be careful to do everything I have said. Don't invoke the name of any other gods and don't let them be heard on your lips. So there is this sort of sevens showing up. You've got the Levitical idea of the land is going to rest as well. Leviticus 23, the Jubilee, seven of sevens. And now... Moses is bringing in this idea of the cancellation of debts. I've already, you've already got a pattern of sevens. Now no longer is the land going to rest, but also financial strain is going to rest. And he sets up this, uh, this teaching, which is unique to Deuteronomy. So obviously Moses really wants this instilled in the people of Israel as they're setting up their society in, um, in the Holy Land as a light to the nations. So this is how it is to be done, says Moses. Every creditor shall cancel any loan that has been made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for cancellation debts has been proclaimed. And uh, in Hebrew that says, because this is the Lord's Shemitah. Okay? This is the Lord's release. Um, what do other translations have? What's the, if you got the ESV, never be, be keen to see what you've got. What does it say? Yeah, which verse? Verse 2. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. There you go. Okay. It doesn't use the word Israelite. Okay. That's actually added into by my translators. They've already looked ahead and discovered that you don't have to do this to foreigners. And so they've run back and decided to add some uh, clarification uh, words in there. And, that, and that's actually what many of our translators do, just so you know, okay? They, they do that. It doesn't make them bad people. It doesn't mean your version needs to be burnt on a bonfire, okay? Um, so Aaron, do they, do they, so they don't practice too much the idea of the land? Do they... Do they practice today in modern day Israel the idea of, uh, of, of you know, of releasing financially financial debts? Do they do they do that? Uh, no, <laughs> no, they they do not they do not release debts. But there are people who who let the land rest. Now, isn't that interesting? I think and, we would have uh, heard if, if if there was a release of debts. <laughs> I think everyone would be joining that bank right now. I think Neville, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so a very special bank okay um the the in israel unfortunately they have this procedure um uh, uh where they sell the land to a foreigner uh, for for one for one year and uh, and they get around it so the land is still being used um and they're not reaping benefits from it. The, the Arab is, usually it's an Arab guy, and they, they have taken money at the beginning of the year. Um, now, there's a debate, and, and different rabbis, and they change their mind. 
almost every year. One year, some rabbis are all for it, and the next year they're not. Um, it's very interesting to watch the debates go on if people like that kind of stuff um, to see which ones are um, for and against. Um, but uh, just as uh, Don Stanley found out, for those that chose uh, to, to in, their, in their life to be holy like the Lord was holy, um, discovered that he did indeed bless. And I think that... Uh, that we, we can take that and should take that principle to ourselves, that as holy people, uh, beloved by God, uh, we need to remain faithful to him, and, and he will indeed remain faithful to us. So the, the rule is cancel the debts to, to your household. But that's okay, all right. Because it is the Lord's release. Okay? The, the, the Lord has proclaimed something. Okay? Now, cancelling debts in the ancient Near East, just to put in a bit of context, was actually common. Guess who did it? There was one person in the society who had exclusive right to cancel the debts, and it was, it was the... King. King, yes. And so... For all the other cultures of the ancient world, kings cancelled debts. And you even see it today. People giving you know, presidential pardons left, right, and saying they're not allowed to do that kind of stuff. Um, but in the ancient world, kings did it. Now Moses is taking that power away from the king. And who's he putting it into the hands of? The people. Yes. Now isn't that interesting? Um, so... He, he's, and, and, it sh and because it says this is the Lord's release, it does you know, put in the notion that this is actually important to God. And so Moses takes, takes this power away from a king, gives it into the hands of absolutely everybody, and then adds on the phrase, by the way, this is actually really important to God. Okay? This idea of, uh, of, of, a, of a release of debt, of an overburdening somebody with with finances, and um, and it, and it, in verse three, it uh, it says, "You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel the debt of your that your fellow Israelite owes you." So there seems to be a distinction. Why do you think there's a distinction? Any idea? Is there anything in the New Testament in the in the Brit Chadashah that seems to to Aaron, this Aaron, idea. Yeah, Aaron, the Lord said, I think it's to Peter, he says, you're the children of the kingdom, pay. Uh, I can't remember the exact scripture, and he said, but to, to satisfy the current situation, we will pay taxes, right? You're the children okay. of the kingdom, pay taxes. Am I right? So is that... Is, is, that, the, um, is that the one where, um, where Jesus is talking to Peter and gets the fish? The yeah, fish that's the one. Yeah. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Okay, um, that wasn't the verse I was thinking of, but yeah, that's that's in there. Is that um, Jesus Himself is even going to pay taxes? Okay, um, you, there's a distinction between those that are part of the household of faith and those who are not, and 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 how you can have a debt with one and not a debt with another. Um, is there a verse in the New Testament that has? Something very similar to that thought. 
Anyone know? Galatians 6.10. What does Paul instruct us to do? Who do we need to take care of first? Do good. The household of God. The household of God, right? So there you can see there is a a similar theme in the first people that we need to make sure that we're helping has has to be our brothers and sisters. Now you see it both in Hebrew Bible and you see it in Greek Bible, in New Testament. It's very interesting that, I, that you can see churches that are so enamored with fixing the planet and you know, um, taking care of everybody else's problems, but not their own community. And that is wrong. That's wrong all across the Bible. You, know, you, you, you need to take care of the people that are close to home. And... Um, Take, as Paul says, take care of the household of faith. And here, you know, every seven years, the debt of an Israelite needs to go free. But not them darn strangers, okay? You know, we'll, we'll, take, we'll take as much money from pagans as you possibly can. All right? Aaron? Aaron? Yeah. Hi, Aaron. Aaron. I, I just a thought. Um, would these strangers be considered unbelievers? You know, like Paul says, do not be yoked with unbelievers. He did uh, he, he, does he say that in terms of marriage? Is that when he's mm. talking about that? I think it, well, I could think it could also be business myself. That's my own personal opinion. But, okay, um, okay, in terms of business? So here or marriage. I think he mainly means marriage and relationships, but I think he's, it could also be like a business partner. Um, uh, not, maybe not exactly the same, but kind of not the same thing. But with the strangers, with the foreigners, would they be considered unbelievers? Is that why um, they didn't have to release their debts? Um, we're not sure exactly the status of the gear of, of the foreigner. Um, there, there are those that uh, were attached to, to the faith in a, in, a, in a way, but they didn't become, um, uh, they didn't become Jews. Uh, later on in the second temple period, we called them God fearers, but we had developed a new word by then. It was actually a Greek, Greek word. But, uh, the, the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Bible calls them ger, but the meaning in the Hebrew Bible is different to the meaning that Jewish people ascribe it today. Okay, but so the word God fearers during the New Testament times? Uh, lots of yeah, them. New, New Testament talks about them left, right, and center. Um, but they were New include- Testament times. Yeah. So during the, the, when Moses wrote this, they were not called God fears. No, no, they're not. They're just they're just called the Ger. And then there's a further one beyond that called the Nochri. Um, these are two two ways of trying to classify the, the Gentile. And then they're also called Goyim. That was like this big yeah. uh, phrase. But sometimes even Israel is called Gentile Goyim. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's. it's now, Goyim is just nation, so this is nation. Yes. So when you're yeah. talking about Israel as a nation, you're actually using the word Goyim. Right. It would be interesting to read what Rashi has to say about it. Um, I may take yeah. a look at it. I yeah. just noticed a, a just a curiosity. There. Yeah, just noticed a tweet there from Teresa, um, uh, where she, where she typed in that uh, an Orthodox rabbi that she knew uh, in America. Uh, didn't eat any produce from Israel because of the lack of keeping of the Shemitah. <laughs> okay. Uh, isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. It, it is a debate in Israel. Every time the Shemitah comes, is like, 
uh, can we or can we not uh, uh, farm? Uh, it, well, that's easy for him because he doesn't have to set his land aside. So. Yeah, no. <laughs> I know. Aaron, so when we come to the next verse, uh, all we're talking about where everything has to go back to our brothers and sisters. Correct. Uh, this is going to cancel it out as you read into it? Yep. Yep, we're cancelling debts where the release is being done. If no, but if everybody's wealthy, according to the next one, we don't have to do this? The next verse. Sorry. Yes, because the, ne the next... Yes. was it saying? I'll read the Hebrew in a minute too. So in English, I've got... However, there need be no poor among you. For in the land your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. Um, what translations have you got, guys? I'll read the King James. The King James say, Save when there shall be no poor among you, for the Lord shall greatly bless thee in the land which thy Lord God giveth thee, for an inheritance to possess it. But the English says, save when there shall be no poor among you. It gives the impression that if there is no poor among you, you don't have to do this. Yeah. The Hebrew is direct and unclear all at the same time. All right? It, it says, Ephes. All right? It says, none. Right? When there are none, or there will be none, or there potentially might be none. Not 100, but FS, zero, none. Ki, lo ihiye bacha, there will not be among you, uh, avion, poor. So when will that occur? And then it just says, ki, uh, because, bracha, yivaracha denai, ba'aretz, because you've been blessed in the land. And so there, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's direct, but it's still unclear. God is blessing you, so there should be no poor. But there are, but one day there might not be, because one day we might get to a zero. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's a very interesting verse. And so um, what does the ESV do? How, how do they handle it? Neville? Yeah, okay, um, verse 4, but there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, if only you will strictly obey the voice, and so on. So it really becomes a strong conditional state. It is. It's a whereas later on, you suspect the reality is such that there will always be poor among you. Yes, there should be no poor, but there always will be poor, because God is in establishing right here, he's actually establishing an economic system. Right, which is which is which is on a national scale. Um, so it's very interesting what God is doing in these verses. This would in, the, what He's doing should ensure that there's no chronically poor people are going to make mistakes, but yeah. every seven years it should correct itself. So there shouldn't be a chronic poverty, um, but yes, people will still become poor because they will make bad bad choices. Yeah, Yeshua also emphasized that um, you you always have your, the poor amongst you. Yeah. Yep. When, yeah. Which is a quote from this verse. Yeah. And so Yeshua's quoting from Deuteronomy. Um, I think we said it before, but Deuteronomy, the book of Devarim, is the most quoted book in the New Testament. It's on everybody's lips. Okay? They, they understand. And... Uh, um, so, so in verse 4, however, it gets translated for you guys. However, there need be no poor among you, 
For in the land your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. It's a conditional, verse 5. If you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow these commands I'm giving you today, verse 6, for the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations. You know, isn't interesting? You will be, there will be a transactional um, business relationship with, with foreigners, but it'll be in a position of strength. We will be lending to them, but we will not be borrowing from them. You will rule over them, and they won't rule over you. So that doesn't mean we're going to take them over and you know, we'll have them as uh, slaves and they will pay tributes. This is in relation to an economic relationship. We're going to get into a business deal. They won't attack us because we own all their money. Okay? They really need us because we're the ones that are supplying them their food, their water, uh, whatever, because the Lord has blessed us. Um, I find it interesting having lived here for 22 years, every now and again you read these little articles that just pop up and then disappear. Um, you know, God has blessed this land and it has grown much food and it is a net exporter of food. And um, 10 years ago, Israel was the chief exporter of chickens to Syria. Right? You know, this is our enemy. But what we would do is we would grow chickens and we would send them to Cyprus, and then the Cypriots would put a little stamp on each little chicken, but that this comes from Cyprus, and then they would sell it on to um, Syria. And everybody knew it was from, from Israel, but, but um, at least you could turn around to your local imam and say, don't worry, I'm, I'm not eating Zionist chickens. Um, they come from Cyprus. Heck knows where they, they're growing them, but anyway. Um, and Israel does that to a lot of its nations, giving water to, uh, to Jordan and, and feeding uh, their, their enemies. Um, so here God is setting up a very powerful economic system on a national scale. He's asking his people to make sure that first you take care of the household of faith. They really shouldn't be poor, but unfortunately there's going to be. Because we're not going to be able to always live up to those ideals. So Moses brings in into this economic system um, the next level, verse 7. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Ooh. Rather... Be generous, open-handed, freely lend them whatever they need. And be careful not to harbor this wicked thought, oh, the seventh year, the seventh year is coming, I, I'm not going to give you any money, so that you do not show that so that you do not show ill toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. And then they might appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, um, how do you unpack that? Because it doesn't say that if you don't lend, it's a sin. What sin is going to be counted against them? There's no command. There are no 613 laws that says thou shalt uh, lend to the poor or else. 
The hardening of the heart? Right. Isn't that interesting? Remember, in Deuteronomy, Moses is constantly taking the Torah of God and he's applying it to our hearts. Um, he's trying to make sure, write these laws on your heart. And here he's saying, be careful that your heart doesn't get hardened. And your brother then you know, prays to the Lord. The Lord says, yeah, that guy sinned. And what sin did I break? I haven't broken anything. I don't have to give him any money. But there's, there's something here where uh, uh, Moses is making sure that the Torah is actually supposed to be on your heart. And so while it doesn't say what a sin is, like in a sentence, the following has been broken, it's still counted as such. Now, that probably has been debated now for about 3,000 years, ever since he said um, this, but, it, but, it's, but it's here. Because um, um, the law that, that we're putting up of cancelling a debt is going to automatically set up a situation where you don't want to give to the poor, isn't it? Yeah. Right? You're setting yourself up for a fail. Aaron, also Lord Jesus says in Matthew 6, 23, he says, But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. Yeah. If this is the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? So. Yeah. And, yeah. and David, the really interesting thing about this passage is that uh, in verse 9 and in verse 10, the, the, the scripture says, And if your eye is evil, if your eye be evil, uh, now the ESV says, And your eye look grudgingly. But it mm. actually, the literal, I think, is that your eye is evil. And so the this eye is evil. Ein hara. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're, you're right. This is a great example of the, the, this, this Hebrew idiom here that Jesus picks up. And I, I, it's great that you pointed that out that from Matthew 6, because most people, because the, the whole passage of about four, five verses is on generosity to do with um, uh, a good eye and an evil eye, and the the, the, light, the eye is the light of the body. But the punchline that he, Jesus has, which I don't find is very often stressed by in sermons, is that you know if you you've got a spe you've got a spectrum of um, your, if your if your eye is good, then your body is full of light, and if your uh, if your eye is evil, then body is full of darkness. And he says, and how profound is that darkness? And so, that, in other words, if you're stingy and mean, Jesus is saying, this is just so unlike my father that mm -hmm. it is a, it's a profound darkness and you don't want to go anywhere near it. Yeah. Yes. Israel is meant to mimic God. God wants us to take care of the poor and he wants us to be generous because he has been generous. And you're right. If we start doing the opposite, then we're nowhere near where God wants us to be. We've completely missed that thought. So obviously when, start, when stating the law that every seven years you have to give the release, you are setting up the potential that there's going to be people who go, oh, uh, well, I don't really want to lend to you because really I, have to, I just have to throw this money away and I'm not going to do that. Um, and so you ended up with the, 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 the idea of, generosity, compassion, lending to the Lord, uh, to, the, to the poor. This is what God wants. And it appears in a proverb. Uh, wisdom of Solomon. 
what's the famous line from Proverbs 19? Anyone know? He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord, and the Abs Lord will repay his debt. And the Lord will repay. That is absolutely right. So you, buy, you get to the wisdom of Solomon, and he's also writing about a very similar same thing. Guys, God has been generous with us. Let's make sure that we are just as generous uh, uh, that we possibly can. And when the poor do come and, and require something, let's make sure we can be generous because we're not lending to him. He's poor and he needs, he needs it. But we're actually in some way so imitating God's generosity, so touching his, his heart that somehow he's even part of the transaction in some mystical way. And God accepts that, honors that, and then, and then turns around um, a blessing. Uh, Hello, Aaron. Um, I also want to relate it to um, what Yeshua was saying on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, okay. If you remember that um, here, um, Moses was trying to make them understand that they should not be very clever to circumvent the law, just like you mentioned. <laughs> if yeah. you don't give, I mean, you're not obliged to, to lend the money, to loan the money to the person. And so because of this, they begin to have a hardened heart, which is um, building, not caring, not having compassion on others. And like Yeshua was saying, that um, the, you, it, you've heard that it is said long ago that you shall not murder, but if you're anyone who says to his brother, Reka, it's already committed murder in his heart. So he's trying to tell them the spirit behind the law, that the law is not just because he wants you to keep in line, but there is a spirit behind that law that is that should inspire you to want to go further, to you know, be compassionate and to do that. Yep. And, and Deuteronomy is, a, is, is the book full of talking about the spirit of the law. Vida, yeah. yeah. you had a comment? Yes, so Aaron, a quick question. Is this not, this law we're reading here by Moses, is this not very similar to what Lord Jesus says when they talk about divorce, where Lord Jesus said, Moses let you have divorce because of the hardness of your heart. Is this lending law not also a hardness? Because surely God would want us more to give and not lend. Ah, interesting thought. Okay, I hadn't thought of that before because of the similarity in terms. Um, here, the hardness of the heart is definitely a negative thing. So uh, he's trying to say, be generous and don't get a hard heart. Yes. In the divorce section, he says, I know you've got a hard heart, so I'll allow you to get a divorce. Okay. But, but surely God's, God is, gives to us. He doesn't yes. lend to us. Yeah. And so surely if we've got God's heart, it's about giving to people. And surely when somebody's really poor, how are they going to pay you back ultimately? So surely yeah. that whole logic should be about giving. And so mm -hmm. I find this very strange that this is actually a law about lending. So is it because they've actually already started hardening their hearts towards their own brothers? It, yes, it could be that in the 40 years of wandering since Sinai, Moses had a good hard look at the people and went, oh, my gosh, we've got we to gotta fix this up. And, so, and, and, and that's probably what's going on because he's made some interesting comments about the tabernacle and he's going to make even more and and yeah, it could be it could be that he's been looking at the people and thinking oh no this is, this is not good um he does want to give generously because verse 10 says give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart 
then because because of this Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything put your hand in. So while we use the word lend, because it's a release, you actually don't get your money back anyway. So some some will take a, some will will be able to pay back, some will be given a loan, put it in inverted commas, they then might become fruitful and be able to pay back, but many maybe not. And so the debt is actually cancelled anyway. So, yeah, it, it is an interesting place where, where your heart goes. The, it's an interesting, Aaron, may, may I also put another spanner in the works? Uh, <laughs> Go right ahead, brother. <laughs> uh, I, I noticed that the parable of, 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 of when, the when the farmer goes out and hires the workers in the morning, afternoon, mid-afternoon, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, in, that's Matthew 20. But if I look at verse 15, uh, when they complain about wages, Lord Jesus also says this, Is it not lawful for me to do what I would with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? Did, did Lord Jesus perhaps also take this parable from this very script that you're reading now? Could be. Deuteronomy influences a large section of the Second Temple period. Um, and, and the concept of good eye, bad eye, of being generous, of not being generous, um, of, 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 yeah, is all, is all there. Could be. There's an interesting little, I sort of uh, say a little uh, Talmudic verse on the nature of charity and, and, and giving and how powerful it is that it can conquer all kinds of things. Um, and so uh, they have a saying um, by, I think it's uh, Rabbi Eliezer ben Hyrkanos. So Eli Rabbi Eliezer is a very early rabbi. He's the teacher of Rabbi Kiva. He's, he's in Jerusalem at the time of its destruction. So he's only a generation after, after Jesus. And he actually becomes a follower of Yeshua. So he ends up getting kicked out. But his sayings are still in the Talmud. And he's quoted as saying, Ten powerful things were created in the world. Mountains are hard, but iron cuts through them. Iron is hard, but fire melts it. Fire is strong, but the water extinguishes it. Water is strong, but clouds bear it away. The clouds are strong, but the wind scatters them. The wind is strong, but our bodies can contain it. The body is strong. But fear breaks it. Fear is potent, but wine dispels it. Wine is powerful, but sleep assuages it, takes it away. Stronger than all of these is death. But charity delivers you from death. Right? Three things remain. Faith, hope, and? And in, in the King James, charity. Love. Yes. Oh. Charity. Yes. In the King James, it was charity. Love was always linked to generosity. Charity. They, the, the old English preserved some of the Hebrew that, uh, that charity and loving your neighbor was an action. And some of that action was generosity. Generosity meant being giving, giving of your money and your a place to sleep and your food and some clothing and stuff like that. And it was so powerful, it could defeat death. Uh, and, uh, and you can see that um, Moses is trying to make sure that this action is inherent in the community as they 
lead into uh, into the Holy Land. Um, and uh, the there wasn't a command in Exodus for this. There's no command in Leviticus, but there is hints that something really special happens every seven years. There's hints of it. There's literal, literal, not hints. There's literally things that say, you know, every seven years the land will rest. Well, why not extend that from land to people? Um, every every fifty years, every seven sevens, we're going to give it a big release. Well, how about I take that and I shrink it down to seven, and I make sure that we're doing that every seven years. And uh, and so Moses is doing something very strong and very powerful, obviously by the power of the Spirit, I would say, and um, and uh, and for prepping his people um, to become the people of God when they enter the land. Aaron, so, it reminds me of your testimony from when, from land to people. Remember, there was a young Jewish. Uh, I think it was a young man, and he gave the testimony of how he really. I don't know. If, you know, you, at some point you had to run after him. I mean, there's this whole. Do you remember that? Uh, oh, where I chased him uh, through the yeah. And then I ended up putting him in a psych hospital. <laughs> yeah. And, he still, and we then became friends. <laughs> yeah. How is he doing? How is he doing now? Okay, so he's still struggling. Um, he, his struggles have not finished. He's still struggling with his parents. He sometimes lives with them. He sometimes doesn't. Um, he's, he comes, but he still comes and visits every couple of weeks. Like we, we, we probably talk. We talk every week, but he physically comes <laughs> and sees me every week. Yeah, Yaakov, um, yeah, he's, he's going to be one of those guys that um, enters the kingdom um, crawling, okay? But he'll be happy he got there, like all of us. He'll be a good guy. So Moses, in verse 10, is instructing uh, the people. And now remember, this is Holy Scripture, as Paul says, uh, useful for, for, for creating doctrine for all of us, so we should look at its intention. Yeshua's quoting it, and he's obviously reflecting on it when he's giving his teachings in the New Testament. Uh, give generously, so have a good eye, and do, not, and do so without a grudging heart. Remember, it's from our hearts that come all kinds of evils, yes? Not from our minds, right? Yeshua says it's our hearts. Um, and then... Because of this, because you've got a good eye, because you're generous, because your heart is no longer spreading all sorts of evils, the Lord will bless you. And it'll be in all of your work. There's no definition of what that means. It's very generous. Uh, and everything that you put your hand to. So just in case, you know, we've decided that it's got to do with doctors and lawyers and being good taxi drivers, all of that is going to be, is to be um, blessed. Verse 11. There will be, there always will be poor people in the land. And Yeshua uses that phrase as well. The poor you will have always. It's, it's unfortunately going to happen. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So Moses knows that there's going to be um, a the society is not going to be this socialist utopia. Um, they're not going to form a kibbutz and all have an equal share of everything. They will be rich and they will be poor. And there's nothing inherently evil about being rich and nothing inherently good about being poor. Um, however, 
the, the injunction for those of us, regardless of what we have, is to be generous. And, uh, and that is going to be, I think we'll probably end it there because the next section brings up the concept of slavery. <laughs> uh, there you go. And when you read the various passages that it correlates to in Exodus and Leviticus, um, it seems to imply you're allowed to have them. And yet you can turn around and uh, uh, have to release them. So um, if you want to do any homework in preparation for next week, read this, this passage from Deuteronomy, then jump back into Leviticus and in Exodus, where it, and Exodus 21 is the, is the chapter on slaves. Exodus 20, Leviticus 25 is the chapter on slaves. Um, and you get these um, discussions about how you can acquire one, uh, what you should do with one, um, and, and, and then how to get rid of one uh, once the time has, has come up. And then we can talk a little bit about, um, we could, we, let's just have a good, honest discussion about the issue of, of slavery. Um, and uh, one little correction from Teresa. Um, I said that uh, she was from America. She's not actually from the UK. Okay, so it was our little uh, our British rabbi who, who, who did not eat um, uh, food from Israel because it wasn't following the Shemitah. <laughs> I, think I, get his, I get his point, okay? It's, it's rather, rather unfortunate. Um, so there you go. Um, I, I wonder if we can ever get a copy of Don's um, paper on the Shemitah because he spent a lot of, lot of time researching this. And it was actually really good value. Uh, guys, any other final comments on on uh, on a community as us being generous? It's it's up to us, guys. We want to reflect the character of God. We need to make sure that the first people we are being generous to is household of faith, okay? and uh, that's the first thing. We should not ignore uh, that. That should be a reflection to the outside world. That should make people want to join our community, even if it is just to get stuff, um, you know, like, look at these guys, look how they take care of each other. Well, we should, we should be like, definitely be like that. Um, uh, it's a, it might be from the Hebrew Bible, it might be from 4,000 years ago, but I think it's very applicable to, to today as well. Like the Word of God doesn't change, but, but um, this is a very powerful part for us to reflect the character of God. So let us all have a good eye. Yeah. Any other questions? Any other thoughts? Aaron, I'll try to get um, Don Stanley's paper. We just have to make sure we, we redact the, uh, the names of the people. And it's a yep. comparison, <clears throat> not just of the ones who chose to follow the biblical commandments of the Shemitah, but comparison of how the modern-day Israelites use three or four different ways to circumnavigate it, circumvent it. Yes, yeah. He gave a presentation at Christchurch. I think it was recorded. Um, ah, I think so. Yeah. I think yeah. it was. Mm. Uh, a question about that paper. So there was, so only one practiced it? I didn't get the idea of the no, fire. No, one, one didn't. Uh, no, sorry, 20 did. And uh, that, that's correct, isn't it? Um, I don't know the exact numbers. We'll have to look. But you've got a certain number who 
their communities, families decided to follow the biblical commandment for the Shemitah. So then he interviewed other ones who chose to sell their property to an Arab, other ones who would rent it to someone else, but still work it, but they didn't own it anymore. They were sent. There's lots of different ways to avoid the commandment, but yet rabbinically speaking, it's kosher. Yes. And so all of these things are discussed in the paper and the outcomes. And it's over a number of years. Right. Yeah. That makes more sense, Yvonne. God is true to his word. So he said he would bless. Very well. And he does. Uh, And he does. Um, Aaron, does it mean that it is okay for when the Jewish people tries to circumvent the law by selling the land to um, to a goyim just for him to get around till the Shemitah is over? Because almost the same thing happened during the Passover uh, when somebody has a store that has... um, um, uh, what they call it now, yeast in it, and um, yeah. you know, it kind of sells it to to a goyim, and you know, gets it back at the end of the day after the Passover, after the feast yeah. of um, unleavened bread. So, what do you think about that um, circumventing the law? I, I, my personal thing, and I'm not alone. A lot of people think this is just people trying to trick God. Um, the 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 Moroccans I like the Moroccan tradition of for Passover Uh, they didn't sell their chametz they didn't sell their um, uh, leaven what they did is the Moroccans would go to their Arab neighbors or Moroccan neighbors they're not Arabs Muslim neighbors and give them all their yeast products and the Muslims would bake up all these sweet cakes and breads and things, and then at the end of Passover, give back all these really cool treats. And it became known as the thing called Mimuna. And um, so it was a big festival with with Muslims and Jews all having this big sugar rush uh, for a couple of days at the end of Passover. And because all the neighbors would get on. Now, Israel has imported, you know, over half a million Moroccans. Moroccans make up a large component like they're the next big number down from russian jews okay you got russian jews and then moroccans and then mm-hmm. all the other groups after that and um and mimuna has now become a, a part of this israel's culture oh, um so, so non-moroccans mm-hmm. have said oh this is really cool we're gonna do that too and um <laughs> Which is kind I'll of take easy. bread and cookie, and, and, and I'll take bread and cookie over yeast. <laughs> <That's like> a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but but in terms of like the the selling of, of uh, things, I, I don't I don't like it. I think you're trying to trick God. People people sell their shops on Shabbat, right? You know, um, so you'll have owners who will own a, uh, a oh. garage. That's, that's a big one. Um, a gas station, and for six yeah. days of the week, it's owned by a Jewish guy. But for one day of the week, it's owned by some Arab guy. <laughs> and it's open 24-7. And we just make this, this, you know, one day, one day a week, they, they sign this little contract, give one shekel, and, you know, come on Sunday morning, they get their, get their shop back. Um, I think, I think that's why I, I think that's why Moses had to put that in, don't add in your heart. You know, it's, 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 and it's just there up till this day. Um, because if you look at Mark 7, there is a narrative there where Yeshua was, um, you know, 
was um, chastising the Pharisees, and he says, but you say if a man tells his father or his mother what you have, um, whatever you, you would have gained from me is a coban that is given to God, then he no longer is permitted to do anything for his parents, then yeah. thus making the word of the Lord void in the tradition. Then, they, in other words, the Pharisees, they encourage it because uh, once uh, somebody is supposed to take care of his parents, I mean, there's a member of his own household, and he says, oh, it's a coban because of that. I mean, he's free from yeah. taking care of his parents. And, um, you know, Yeshua was not so excited about them using that to circumvent the law because they're supposed to take care of their parents. They have, they have missed the spirit of the law. And in this yeah. case, they've actually gone against the letter of the law to honor their parents. So, uh, yeah. 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 And so, but yeah, Moses is very concerned to make sure that the spirit of the law is kept um, on their heart. And, and, I, and I like the way he introduces, you will be found guilty of sin. But he never tells you what the sin is. You know, just the guy you hurt is going to pray to God and God is going to listen to that prayer. He's going to account something against you. Yeah. But there's not going to be a little command that you can tick a box and say, I didn't do that, um, which, is, which is very interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's very interesting, especially when you read some of this um, Midrash with um, Hillel and Shammai and you see the, the thought concept of... Um, the Jews, especially in the first century, how they, they kind of look at the law and tries to, you know, beat around it. It's, it's, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's all good. It's great background for, for New Testament. It's great background for how uh, the world and the, that, just, that Jesus is operating in, the disciples of Yeshua are operating in. All right, guys, have a great Shabbat. Whatever you do, please rest and enjoy. Stay safe. Right. Shalom and Kodesh Tov. Um, tomorrow is um, Rosh Kodesh um, Elul. So Kodesh Tov to you all. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, right. Thank so, you Aaron. Shalom, everyone. Yeah. Shalom. 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 Yeah. yeah. Shabbat Shalom, y'all. Okay. Thank so, Aaron, Aaron Gan, I'm. Uh, I will have a little look at that uh, number eight. Okay. But I'll have to have a think about it. Uh, is that okay? Yeah, no, it just came up in my mind when we were talking about seven. I thought, well, maybe yep. he knows about that. Not off the top of my head, but there was also lots of eights that appear because most of the festivals, the big ones, they're all eight days. You're okay. Okay, now, why is that such a big number? That's a good one. Yeah. On the eighth yeah. day, right, there's, what is it, the, the name of the, 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 the water drain festival on the eighth day? What, I forgot right. the name of that in Hebrew. Um, um, Rabbah. Yes. The the the, the, Shabbat, the the great the great yeah, salvation the great salvation the great yeah. salvation yeah is on is on an eighth day circumcised on an eighth day Passover is an eight day festival Sukkot eight days Shavuot eight days there's a lot of eight days you've got to ask the question why in 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 some midrash I've read you know when you talk about eight day it's always seven plus one um, <laughs> because it will tell you. Um, this you um, shall have a feast for me for seven days, and all of a sudden it introduced the eighth day. Yeah, and it says on the eighth day because it will always introduce. Okay, you shall have a feast for me for seven days. Then on the eighth day you do this. Then yeah. you know the eighth day is always plus one. Yeah, and, it could um, be that Moses is watching the Israelites, and he goes, "You know, these guys are absolutely hung over on the eighth day. We're going to have to give them another holiday. So we need to throw something else in there." Cause, 
they're useless. I think that's interesting what Teresa said, though, on New Beginnings. I also heard that also as well, Teresa. And then, uh, you know, eternity is the new beginnings with the Lord for, for all of eternity. That's Yeah, I've heard of that on the eighth day. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this is midrashic because there's nothing in mm -hmm. the text that actually says. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's great to go and find the different midrashim on why what what are, what are people thinking about when when when, uh, when they mm -hmm. look at this pattern that shows up again and again and again? All right, great guys. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.